Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Behind the Goals podcast. You're listening to myself, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a, a wee while since we were um, last in your last in your ears. Yeah, um, we've had Christmas, New Year, general election. Yeah, well, last episode was about the general election, and uh, I'm not sure if many people took our advice on board when deciding who to vote for. Um, there was probably more important voices to listen to than ours on, on that one. But yeah, that was that was the last time we talked to you, and the holiday period since then, which is uh, uh, it's a period of renewal, of refreshing energy, refreshing ideas. Yes. Um, yeah. How was your holiday? A long time ago. <laughs> You've been abroad since then. Yeah. Picked up yeah. a tan. You've still got a nice tan, actually. Yeah, but yeah. I think I'm just dirty. Maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. maybe. No, no. Yeah, some, some sunshine over, over New Year. Um, yeah, going around Morocco and you were in Thailand. Just, I was. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah. yeah. I was abroad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, coming as we said in the last po- 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 podcast, we're going to start doing these. Um, we've, we've sort of we dropped off for almost eight months last year, <laughs> but we are going to be a little bit more. The gaps are going to be smaller than they were last year. They were, but they're we're, they're probably going to be less frequent in terms of the amount of podcasts we do. But yeah. we're going to try and be a bit more. Yeah. You know, yeah, one, once a week turned out to be unsustainable for us, um, and also for the guests that we were trying to get on. But yeah. you know, something closer to once a month may, may work better. So we'll we'll be in your ears fairly regularly, but we won't be bombarding you. No. It's going to be quant- uh, quality rather than quantity. Absolutely. So what have we got coming up in uh, in this month's episode? <laughs> uh, well, the main uh, focus of this this month's episode is going to be an interview with Warren Hawk. Um, He's currently doing some club development work for Wraith Rovers, their community foundation, previously having done a very similar thing with great success at Greenock Morton yeah. and also a bit of time as the chief executive of the football club through there. Um, but we talk about his playing career as well. It was a great chat. Unfortunately, you couldn't make it, so no. you'll be hearing this for the first time. Yes. Um, but a lovely guy, um, really interesting conversation and some some really valuable insight about about development of you know charitable foundations on the back of football clubs and working alongside football clubs to mm. improve their reputation. So some yeah you know we wouldn't have an awful lot of time with uh, when when Warren and I met, um, but we covered a lot of ground in about half an hour. Yeah. So that's coming up later in the podcast. Excellent, and we're going to kick things off with the big thing from Supports Direct Scotland this week, which was the release of the survey results, our annual survey results, the Scottish Football Supporters Survey. Yeah, that's right. Um, a few months since the survey was run, it's always I always find it frustrating the amount of time it takes us to actually be able to publish results. It, go, it has to go through a bit of a... We obviously have to analyse it and make sure that the numbers are sound um, and draw out the, the themes. And then, as we do this in partnership with the Scottish Football Association and the Scottish Professional Football League, um, we need to run the results behind it past them so that they understand the insights and they're ready for when we go live with the results and uh, and are able to um, to support us in implementing improvements on the back of it. Yeah. And, and that really is what the survey is all about. It's about finding improvements that the league, the football association, that clubs can make um, easy things that are that are that will have a big impact on supporters uh, and a lot of positive stories there uh, that, that we covered, but also a review of how Scottish football is, and more, more generally what people think about football in general, and some of the more problem elements of uh, of, uh, of football. Um, 
that tends to get the most media attention. So yeah. we found that this week um, the Daily Record and the Sun have both picked up on the figures around sectarianism in particular, the other forms of discrimination as well. Um, and probably 90% focused on those findings rather than some of the more good news stories, if you like, um, that, that are behind there yeah. about the great work that clubs are doing around the country. And I guess that's that's natural that media, you know, bad news sells more papers than, than good news. So we, we probably just need to accept that, that that's the way things are. Yeah. But podcasts like this um, and other forms of getting the, the message out there will hopefully help get those good news stories out there. Yeah. I mean, so I would I obviously agree that the media are more likely to pick up on some of the negative stories, but they are they are negative, aren't they? So we can't kind of avoid yeah. that and brush over that in some yeah. respects. So I, I found certainly, you know, when, uh, working with different organisations, there's a lot of work that's going on to try and tackle, as we know from our friends at Fair Play Foundation, yeah. the work that was part of Supports Direct for a long time, the Colours Our Scars programme, a lot of work to tackle sectarianism, yeah. a lot of work to try and tackle um, LGBT um, sort of discrimination yeah. and hate crime basically within football. But actually the numbers seem to be getting worse. It's kind of disheartening yeah. in a lot of respects to read that when you know a lot of good people are, are that's doing right. a lot of good work. Yeah, and I think everybody recognises that these problems are deep-seated and it'll take a long time to make to eradicate those yeah. types of behaviours. Um, slightly frustrating part of it is that the numbers are getting a little bit worse. Yeah. Um, sectarianism, the, the levels are, are rising slightly um, and we would like to see them be going in the opposite direction and rapidly, obviously. Um, of more concern to me is, is, is sharp rises in the levels of um, of racism and sexism and, and homophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, those are tra- trajectories that we haven't seen before. Uh, we've seen that people reporting either being witness, witnessing or being subjected to those forms of abuse have been relatively low in comparison to sectarianism. But the fact that those numbers are, have risen sharply in the last year is a, a real cause for concern. And that may be about wider societal issues, um, you know, People are almost being encouraged to say unacceptable things by by political leaders um, in this side of the Atlantic and the other side of the Atlantic. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the dialogue in, in kind of public discourse about all sorts of things is, is less tolerant now than it, than it has been in the past. So maybe, you know, football's just reflecting that. Yes, Hold, yeah. Football holding a mirror up to society, perhaps. But the fact is, this is happening in football grounds and that makes it a less welcoming place. Uh, for for people to to be there, particularly when people want to bring you know young families along, having to listen to that and having their children subjected to those things, that's that's beyond the pale for a lot of people. Um, uh, the adults can it almost kind of you brush it off because you've heard it so many times. You think, oh, you roll your eyes and you get on with it, and it doesn't stop you going. Doesn't stop a lot of people from going to the football. It probably stops some from 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 wanting to be there. Um, but particularly for when we're trying to make um, Scottish football a, a great place to to bring young people and have them develop habits of, of following their local team, um, then it's a, it's a real problem in, mm. in that respect. And obviously the people who are targeted by that discrimination, it's a massive problem there. It, goes, it almost goes without saying, but we should say that, that the real victims of this discrimination are the people yeah. who are being discriminated, not just the casual bystanders who have, bystanders who have to listen to it. Um, so we, we, we definitely want to eradicate that. And it's, it's insidious. Uh, it's it's going to, as, as I say, it'll be a, a long, slow path to get rid of those forms of discrimination mm. in, in Scottish football and the rest of our lives. Um, but we, we have to keep on trying. We have to keep on taking action and not blame others yeah. for it, saying, well, it's somebody else's problem or it's somebody else that's doing it, not my fans. It doesn't matter who's doing it. Um, we're all part of, of, of making a difference and, and, mm. and stamping that out. 
when you hear it, calling people out on it and kind of having a having a quiet, polite word that says, well, you know, actually, do you realise how offensive that is yeah. to me? And do you realise yeah. that effect, the effect that has on other people? And peer pressure is the best way to uh, to to get over those, some, some of those problem issues. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think as well, I, I mean, I've certainly been guilty of assuming that this is almost like a, a cultural lag and football is much like uh, the media and some elements of the way it reports on sport, you know, you always assume that given time it will catch up to kind of a more balanced kind of reporting on issues. And I think I always just assumed that over time football would, those numbers would decrease. And I think that's maybe a yeah. foolish assumption to have made. But I think you're right that football certainly is a reflection of society. But football also has this kind of potential to use the power of the interest yeah. that people have in it to try and tackle some yeah. of these issues. Yeah. Catalyst for change a as well as a change. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I've always believed in that power football has, so it's kind of disheartening, I guess, to see it going the other way. Yeah. But there is some good stuff in the survey in terms of positive news for Scottish football. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's what were the kind of main takeaways from the from the other side of the coin? Well, we always cover three themes in the survey, or have done for the last few years. So this is the second of a three-year benchmarking study, so we'll ask the same questions again at the start of next season. But the three themes that we cover are on value for money fan engagement and the supporter experience or match day experience. Um, value for money, actually, that's not. there's not such good news in there in mm. that um, the scores are actually going going down a little bit there and there's more people rating SPFL games as as poor or very poor than there were last year. Mm. So that's, there's been a bit of a decline there. Um, we, we did some fairly detailed analysis on, on where the differences are and where those, those, pe- those peaks are coming. And actually, there's a big difference in the way that League One and League Two fans perceive the value for money in Scottish football uh, compared to Premiership and Championship. So it's much more evenly spread across the, you know, from very good to very poor in the lower divisions. Um, the other thing that, that's, that's associated with that is that um, ticket prices aren't the most important factor for people mm-hmm. this year for the first ever time. Actually, kickoff times are, are rated as more important uh, a factor in whether people decide to attend a game or not. And if you look at that in the context of the value for money scores, it's, it's generally in the Premiership where matches are moved away from a Saturday afternoon 3pm mm. uh, to a Friday night or a, or a Sunday. So that's maybe having a bit of an impact there. So people actually say, so I'm still paying, you know, Quite a lot of money for my for my ticket to get to the match, and it's actually a time that doesn't suit me mm. suit me very well. Um, a lot of the things around value for money as as well kind of hint at there are other things other than ticket price that, that make a difference. So when we get onto the support experience, uh, there's a lot that said people highlighting the good work that a lot of clubs do about how friendly a welcome that they get when they, when they go there. Um, so clubs like um, Ross County and Brecon City. Um, you know, they give a real, real friendly, warm welcome when you arrive at the ground, and that gives people a different sense of you know, is that is it was it worth taking taking a day to travel the length of the country to get there, and twenty odd pounds, whatever it is, to get into Ross County, for example. It, actually, it feels like money well spent when mm. you're treated treated well, you're welcomed, uh, and it's a you know, it's a it's a good day out. So that's part of part of the equation as well. So on on the supporter experience one, if we jump to that that third theme there, to the, the other things that are that are involved in that, um, we talked about um, atmosphere, customer service, and facilities being the three most important things there. So the generally the clubs that scored really well on that are the ones where you get a great atmosphere in the stadium. So Celtic and Hearts always uh, score well on on that front. Customer service was was a big a big one, and if we look in the top flight, um, I think particularly Hibs and Kilmarnock, um, you know, scored scored well, and people had a lot of positive things to say about them. 
And in that sense, it was particularly about feeling like you're treated equally. Mm. And so if you go there as an, as an away supporter, mm. you, you get the sense that you're, you're yeah. being treated the same as if you were a home fan. And that's very important for, pe- for people. So just the, you know, the friendliness of the, you know, the first person you meet, the person you know, selling you a ticket at the ticket booth outside, or the steward who's kind of you know, checking that you're not bringing something into the stadium, uh, or the catering staff, yeah. those are the types of things that really seem to, to make a, a big difference to people. So the support experience, we've got lots of really great stories there. And this year, for the first time, as well as asking people to name the club that they admired most about the work they do on on support experience uh, or working in the community, which is which is one of the other ones, we asked them to say, "So, what is it you like about yeah. that club?" Yeah. And we've got some fantastic stories through there, and that's that's allowed us to, um, in our results presentation booklet, um, to actually tell some of the stories, get quotes quotes from some of the clubs to say what it is that's. That's so good there. Yeah. Uh, so, and, so, so tell us a little bit. So Brecon, for example, were uh, featured within the. Yeah, Brecon. Brecon were the top-rated club in the lower divisions um, for the best away away day experience, um, and the p- things that people talk about there are. I mean, people do talk about the hedge and it being yeah. a tidy wee ground, and, yeah. and they like that. It's a nice. It's a nice, it's a distinctive stadium to go to, but people, as I've said before, talked about the warm welcome they get, there's a smile on everybody's face and people's, people at, the, at Brecon City genuinely seem pleased to see you when you arrive there as a visiting supporter. And that may be about you know, how they've been doing in the, on, on the field and that people are still going there is like, good news. I'm joking, obviously. But the other thing that's uh, probably the strongest theme in the Brecon City feedback was the soup. The, le- the lentil soup apparently is the best soup in Scotland, um, and it almost got more mentions than the Kelly pies, which is another another oh, factor yeah, where Kelly's yeah. Kelly scored really really well. So catering is really really important to football fans. Actually, Ross County is another one that, that did really well on on, on catering. Um, so venison pies, and I mean, there's a there's a variety and a quality to the to the catering offers at, at, at these clubs. Um, so those are the things there, and so in each of these these categories where we were asking who do you think is who do you rate as top on, on on this category, we're actually picking out what it is that they like and telling some stories about it. So some great great case studies. It's brilliant feedback for the clubs. They get uh, they get a sense of recognition that mm-hmm. that the efforts that they're making uh, aren't going unnoticed, mm-hmm. and it's not just their own own supporters that that like what they're doing. It's visitors yeah. there, and that's really really important to to, to them. Yeah. It also it gives some really really simple ideas to other clubs. Yeah. So a club that's sitting there that's not made the top five. On that question, actually, look at what Brecon City do. Look what Ross County do. Look at what you know, Hearts, Kilmarnock, Celtic do. Uh, those types of things. Yeah, and I think that's quite nice as well because the the thing that I suppose the the main criticism of doing surveys like this is often well, nothing really changes as a result. But actually, quite the not the, the thing I've always think it's been the powerful thing behind this the Scottish Football Supporters Survey is that actually it's because it's done in association with the clubs you kind of have to buy in yeah. with the clubs as well yeah. and we've always tried to present the results to the clubs and ensure yeah. that there's also also kind of like a benchmarking so the fact that a lot of the same questions are asked year after year yeah. so you can start to sort of like track change in a lot yeah. of these areas and actually clubs can understand how they're doing better and look at their own results as well yeah. so they can yeah. you can take that away so what kind of stuff are we doing to um, ensure that the clubs are yeah, so each of the clubs are, are sent a detailed results pack. Uh, they're saying here, here are the here are the insights overall from the whole of Scottish football, and here's um, you know the clubs that people have picked out for doing particularly good work. Well, we also offer them you know, the detailed results from their own fans. So um, 
for example, Dunfermline, uh, probably you know, in the last couple of days since the survey went live, uh, there may be eight clubs around the country who already asked for the, the results from their own supporters. So Dunfermline were one of the first, for example, saying we're really interested in this. So you send them their packs, here's everything that their supporters say. Because one of the questions that we ask is, you know, what could your club do to improve mm. the match day experience? Uh, so we give them that, um, and they, they get it warts and all, yeah. um, in in the words of their own supporters. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the kind of thing that, that's helpful. And we we've also put some resources in place that allow you to delve a little bit deeper into the survey results. So there's a glossy booklet that has the headline stats, but there is also a, a, a kind of functionality on our website where you can go on and say, well, I want to see how my supporters compare with supporters in the rest of my division or my supporters compare with the supporters of a rival club, or actually, so so Brecon City are score really well on, on that side of it, so I want to I want to compare what my my supporters think with what Brecon City's supporters think. Mm. So it's those types of things that we can mm. we can do to delve deeper in. And that allows you to, you can also look at different demographics, you know, so what's it like for old people, for young people, um, for people of different faiths, people of different sexualities. So, so when, we, when we say, is this an inclusive place for people to come and watch football, Let's actually, you know, find out what what those people say about Scottish football. What is it they like and they don't yeah. like? So yeah. this gives us a chance to, to to really hear from people directly um, what they think of Scottish football. Yeah, excellent. And for the first time, we can look at the results, so people can go and see the whole package and uh, kind of like a highlights package as well on our on, yeah. on our website. Yeah, we we put two two um, data visualizations this together. Is, um, this is your kind of. You love this stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a proper geek. Yeah. yeah. So I love doing this stuff. Uh, and it's very similar to the, the kind of technology that sits behind the SDS index. Yeah. So I've used the same kind of platform to develop you know, this different way of, of analysing the survey data. And there's one that's called the Highlights Package. And it generally, you know, the things that are in the, the results booklet, those, those, those high-level messages that we want to get out there, it presents all of those in a way that you can, you, you can slice and dice it. You know, you compare one set of supporters with another set of supporters just to see where the differences are. So that's the highlights package, but I also did one that was the full 90 minutes. Yeah. And it pretty much takes every single question we asked in the survey and allows you, again, to slice and dice to, com- to compare yeah. you know, one set of supporters against another set of supporters, just to see where the differences are uh, and get a, get a deeper understanding of the data. Um, that's actually It's been surprising, actually, how many people have already clicked and looked at those links. I don't know if they've got to the front page and thought, oh, no, not for me, but at least they're going there and, and having a look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I expected that it may just appeal to the to my fellow geeks mm-hmm. um, but no it seems to seems to have uh, got a little bit of attention already so Excellent. if you're into that kind of stuff um, go and have a look at that and um, particularly you know any clubs who are listening to the podcast and want to start exploring their the, mm-hmm. the data as it, as it relates to them um, that's another you know a great resource for them to do so and we're and we're available to help if, yeah. they, if they need to know more if there's a particular question that they uh, they want to find out more information and we can we can help with that. Excellent. So where would they go to? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> it's on scottishsupporters.net uh, forward slash survey uh, and all the links uh, follow on from there. Um, and and you, we'll put you, them in the show notes. As yeah, well. we'll absolutely do that. Don't point downwards. They can't see that on, on, on audio. Uh, I guess the other thing to mention on the survey is the, the theme that I kind of skipped over there as I was jumping from value for money to supporter experience. Mm. On fan engagement, you know, the one thing I want to really kind of mention and give credit to is the supporter liaison officers yes. around the country. Yes. Um, the numbers go up quite quite steadily, and but quite big jumps every year. And we're almost at the point where the numbers can't get any better. Um, so when... Particularly, there's a question that we ask about, have you ever had to contact your SLO and were you able to do so? Something like 97% of people who mm. needed to contact an SLO were able to do so. So the SLOs are known to known to their fellow supporters. You're, they're 
they're accessible that you know you're able to get in touch with them if you need them and that's credit to, to the work that they're doing there so that's great feedback on mm. on the growth of that 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 role in Scottish football and the fact that it's it's now it's established, established. in, in yeah. Scottish football yeah. and it's really really well known and yeah. supported and and that's 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 a great uh, a great result to get there it's, and it's nice as well because I think our friends at SD Europe often talk about Scotland as being kind of a, su a success story in that sense you know coming yeah. from I mean previously we only had one or two SLOs to yeah. now the, the setup that we have yeah 30 or 31 SLOs now yeah. around the country so, so yeah great success yeah. And, and you know kudos to the clubs for, for actually yeah. implementing it and taking yeah. it seriously which is great okay well let's crack on with the, uh, the the full 90 then shall we that's right and we're hearing from Warren Hawke this week yeah and yeah so um, should we just delve into it yeah I mean I, I, I introduced Warren very briefly at the start of the interview okay. but we're, we're short for time um, so those of you who don't know uh, know of Warren, so Warren's a former footballer. Um, he started off his career at, at the club that he supported all his life, Sunderland. Um, six or seven years down there, broke through through the, the youth ranks there into the first team. Uh, and then he moved north to Scotland. He had a very, very short uh, spell at Wraith Rovers right. after he moved across the border. I think it was a handful of games. Right. Uh, it was in 1993. I was at university up in Aberdeen, so I didn't see any of the games that he played in. But I was kind of aware of him vaguely as having been a Wraith Rovers player. But he's best known in Scotland at Berwick Rangers and at Green at Morton, where he, Green Morton, he, I think he was there for eight or nine years in total. Um, some very famous goals, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, a striker, um, lovely guy. Um, after hanging up his boots, uh, he wanted to stay in football, but not in coaching. He wanted to be on the business side of football. Um, he talks about his career immediately after hanging up his boots. And then when he came back into football, um, working for the PFA Scotland, uh, and then heading up uh, Great Morton's Community Foundation. And that's really the focus of the interview, the work that, he's do, that he did there over, over, over a few years before becoming the chief executive of the club. Uh, and then uh, from last summer onwards, you know, working for other clubs and currently doing some community foundation development work for my own club, Wraith Rovers. So I met him at Starks Park. and uh, San Starko. Yeah, the San Starko. Field of dreams. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we talked about talked a little bit about Wraith Rovers and talked about you know the, the, the similar work he did at Green Morton. So he's got a very varied career. Um, we talk a little bit about his playing career, a little bit about his, his time as Chief Executive of Morton, but mostly about the yeah. community foundation work that, that he's done and, and, is, and is still doing now. That's nice because often we're talking about the kind of professional playing side but actually it's quite nice to talk about the value clubs can give to the community yeah, aspect of the work right. which is obviously an important part of what we're doing here as well so, yeah okay well let's delve into it if you enjoy the show why not leave us a five-star review on itunes don't forget to subscribe we're on all good podcast platforms and some of the rubbish ones too okay so warren thanks for joining us on the podcast um i know we were quite limited for time today but we thought we'd have a quick chat about what it is that you're involved in these days, the roles you've done before, but, and obviously going right back to your role as a, as a footballer. Um, you're, you're not well known to me um, as, a, as a footballer because you had quite a brief spell here at Wraith Rovers, um, but you were around Scottish football for, I, I guess, most of your playing career. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. I, was, um, I came, up, came up to Scotland in... 1993-4 season, um, having a great stint back at, at Berwick, at Berwick, Berwick Rangers, um, and then then moved on to Morton. But prior to that, I had seven years at Sunderland, few loan deals, and I was very lucky to to play in an FA Cup final back in 1992 against against Sunderland against Liverpool, which right. was 
which was the highlight of my career and, uh-huh. and something that my childhood ambition was and to do yeah. it at the age of 21 was fantastic yeah. and, uh, Were you a Sunderland fan? Growing I was a Sunderland fan one of yeah. my earliest memories was um, the 1973 Cup Final my dad yeah. drove the minibus down to Wembley <laughs> with all, his, with all yeah. his friends 16 of them in the minibus and uh, just remember late at night waking up and I must have been, I was, I was two and a half, three at the time. He didn't take you with him? No, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't there, but there was red and white scarves and uh. so much happiness and celebration yeah. late at night this one evening. And it was everybody getting back from Wembley and it just who stuck they, in my mind. Who did they play that, that day? They played against Leeds, uh-huh. so they were the underdogs. Right. It was the... Porterfield scored the goal and it was the oh, the double save man. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and it was the double save from Montgomery and it mm. was always one of the iconic yeah. icon, iconic memories of the, of the FA Cup that gets churned up every year the, the double save and yeah. Sunderland won 1-0 and, and that was it that was my childhood ambition to yeah. play in an FA Cup final so yeah. to do it at the age of 21 was a bonus yeah fantastic <laughs> uh, so yeah that was me um, came up north I had to say that after that cup final, I'd, made, I'd done my ambition, I'd played in my cup final and I went a little bit off the rails right. um, as a right. professional footballer, but yeah. um, had the opportunity to, to come, come north of the border mm-hmm. and had Wraith, came, came to Wraith, but then settled, settled at Berwick for an 18th month period and they mm. just um, reignited but my son Lewis was, was born in Kakadi while I was okay. here for that short, right. sp- short period and he still plays in Scotland he's still yes, in Albion he's, right? he's still in Albion yeah. um, he's still in Albion at the moment Queen's Park last year uh-huh. and um, yeah. he's um, yeah, he's enjoying himself yeah so then your, your playing career took you to Morton where you, you had quite a long association how many, how many years were you there? yeah I was, I was nine, nine and a half years oh, right. okay. nine and a half years I had a, a stint in the middle um, where I went to Queen of the South for about 16 to 18 months and um, yeah it was just, just through a, a period of uncertainty shall we say with Morton mm. they had a direct um, a chairman came in that um, I didn't see eye to eye with and right. I could see the way that the club was yeah. going and I was yeah. correct and I, and I decided to get out but um, then once once, once Douglas Ray um, um, who obviously passed away mm. passed away last year uh, he came back in to, to take over the club I knew it was a place I wanted to be back yeah. at and, yeah. and so out my playing career until, until the age of 34 yeah. um, where I, I chose to retire one of yeah. the few that actually choose to retire yeah. <laughs> So there was an offer on the table, but you thought you'd your your were your legs just feeling it a little bit too much, or I just I just fallen out a little mm. bit. You you're playing it for seventeen years, mm. and I I fell out of love with the game probably okay. the last year or two yeah. of my of my career. I wasn't enjoying. I was enjoying the training, but I wasn't playing in games. Okay. And if you're not playing in games, you're not keeping your fitness up yeah. to levels, yeah. and and it was little niggling injuries might have uh-huh. been because of the, the rustiness of yeah. the old age kicking yeah. in um, but but no I, I'd, I'd planned for I was one of the one of the few I'm going to say I, I got my degree while I was playing okay. full time right. part time degree business um, and um, and I always that was over a six year period throughout, uh-huh. my, uh-huh. Through, throughout my football career and um it was always something I knew I enjoyed. I yeah. enjoyed the business side of right. football. I enjoyed reading about the business side of football, yeah. and and um, yeah, I just knew it was something that uh-huh. I, I could potentially want to be back involved in it someday. Yeah. And 
and obviously here I am now. Yeah. When you hung up, hung up your boots, did you go straight into working, working in football? Um, I actually did it two, two years in recruitment, an okay. 18 month, two years in, um, in an agency as, as a recruitment agent and um, probably the real world, the nearest I've been in the real world was, was those 18 months, yeah. two years, but after me, I, I, I say it to this day, I'm, I'm probably very lucky that the majority of my work in life, apart from those two years as a recruitment agent, I haven't really worked it's it's been a vocation yeah, you yeah, know it's yeah. it's something that something I, got, passionate I, got, about. I got paid to play football yeah. uh, and now i get paid to to to, to work on the business side of football and yeah. um i just i just love it it's it's yeah. fantastic it's got its yeah. challenges as yeah. always but yeah. really and you really enjoy uh-huh. this side of it yeah and was it was your first job in other than as a player in football was that that at Green and Morton when you no I, I went into the PFA PFA Scotland oh, okay. I was in there I went in there initially as um, an ed- educational manager so basically encouraging other players mm-hmm. basically I'd worn the t-shirt and, yeah. and, um, and I was basically promoting preparing for life after football yeah. via whatever yeah. that education was vocational training preparing for that next job post career mm-hmm. yeah did that for a while and then i was commercial commercial manager as well okay. um we're still within the pfa just just change of remits yeah. and and i was asked to revamp the um the annual awards dinner brought mm-hmm. in a um a business partner program and, and, a, and a really uh-huh. vi- vibrant part of the um of PFA Scotland, yeah. which which I really enjoyed as well. Yeah. Before, yeah. Bef- before leaving PFA and um and joining Greenock Morton uh, uh-huh. in the back room, uh, yeah. just on a consultancy basis to begin with, yeah. and then then ended up being chief executive of the community foundation, uh-huh. and also uh, of the football club as well. Yeah, and the community foundations achieved you know massive successes yeah. uh, the the years that you were there and and since since you've left it's continued on that that yeah, that's, that, that growth and is a, is making a, a massive massive uh, impact on the local community there tell us you know, a little bit about what you did that was maybe different than than had been done elsewhere or that people would expect organizations like that yeah, to, to do i have to say it's probably one of the most proud proud thing proud projects that I've done probably the proudest thing I've done in my, in my professional life so far uh-huh. um, hopefully there's more of them to come and yeah. I certainly feel that here at Wraith we've got a fantastic opportunity and I feel the same way as what we did in Inverclyde but yeah just being at, being at an early stage identifying the need for a community program setting up the charity from nothing um, zero turnover and within five years being voted the best professional club in in Scotland, as uh, in the eyes of the SFA, um, going from a zero turnover to roughly four hundred thousand pounds a year, nine mm-hmm. full time staff, nine part time staff, ninety two volunteers. Yeah. Where within the first year, ninety five percent of the projects was a coach with a bag of balls over the shoulder, yeah. and and away they went to deliver the programs. That was the starting point, but. By year four or five, it was only about thirty to forty percent of the projects actually involved football. Okay. Okay. It was just using the brand, the the positive yeah. local yeah. brand, in uh, to to address social issues, yeah. and um, and that's often clubs don't realise the the power of the local brand yeah. and what that can do to bring. To, to bring positivity to a local area uh-huh. and um, the success of the of the of the 
the project, the charity in, in Inverclyde with, with Morton's Community Trust was probably down to a lot of good people all coming together at the same time. Yeah. We, yeah. Had very, we had four founder trustees mm-hmm. who uh, had the vision, they shared my vision. Um, I was able to drive that forward, mm-hmm. but we had a number of positive staff that came on board, positive volunteers, yeah. and it was quite easy to roll the snowball and, and keep yeah. it getting bigger and better. Yeah. And um, and it's, it's, it's in the hands of Brian McLaughlin at the moment, yeah. who's the chief executive there, and he's, he's doing a cracking job, and yeah. really he's doing a very positive job. Uh-huh. And it's just brilliant to see, and, yeah. and, I, and I keep in touch with him. Yeah, and talk talk a little bit about uh, about trustees of an organisation like that. What what do you what did you look for when you were trying to encourage people to get involved, and what what made the biggest difference uh, from from that side of things? I think what what happens with a with a charity is you usually find the you you, you get trustees who say yeah I'll do that, but ultimately. I was able to do it from scratch or didn't have any trustees. So rather than identify people to be the trustees, mm-hmm. it's identifying the gaps of, yeah. of the expertise. And, and I think we got it spot on at an early stage to start set up the charity. Uh, and that was a lawyer, mm-hmm. an accountant, uh, a mill owner, you know, the, the okay. wealth, wealthy business yeah. person and a marketing and sales person. Right. So that was the four to begin with. And um, and we had a good balance. Everybody got it. Everybody bought into it. And the meetings lasted a lot longer than they should have done because everybody yeah. just wants to know. And there's so much vibrancy yeah. there. Um, but then as it developed, we recognised that there was gaps mm-hmm. that we needed to because mm-hmm. from a from from more, for, from the Morton community perspective, we went into employability programs. We went into education mm-hmm. programs. Yeah health and fitness programs and um, and it was just a case of we needing the additional expertise and that's when you're identifying the new types yeah. of trustees to yeah. come on board. And the staff that you had, you, know, you said initially it was all, it, almost everything that they did was bag of balls and running, yeah. running, running a coaching session. Did the same staff then go and work in these other programs that you're doing or do you, are you recruiting new people to you know, do things around employability yeah. or Again, Again, I'm a big believer in you recruit from within. And if you create a volunteer network of, you have a link with a local college for the HNC and the HND students, because without volunteering opportunities and without hours recorded, they can't get the qualifications. So if we're creating a high quality platform that we invest in them, you're gonna get some of the best volunteers. And where do the best volunteers go? They're probably going to get paid at some stage. So, mm-hmm. so they're, they're then getting promoted from within a system, yeah. but also in the same way that we recognise when you need additional trustees with a different skill set, yeah. you know when you can't yeah. employ somebody from within for a niche-style project. Yeah. If somebody's come up via the coaching system, mm-hmm. you know that you're not going to be able to appoint one of them to be the employability manager. Yeah. So yeah. these these are the types of things, and you then know that you need to bring in specialist yeah. expertise. Yeah. So I mean, it's a huge amount of money turnover that the that the that that organisation was uh, was bringing in and spending on these these programs. You know, how thinly can you spread those sorts of sums of money? I mean, how many people were 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 participating in the programs, and what sort of reach can that have in a community like Inverclyde? It's huge. It's huge, you know, because it's not just about 
it's not just about the people that are directly involved in the programs. Um, I'll use the example of a, of a project that's um, up and running at the moment in Inverclyde. And uh, this probably shows you the reach. It's an active age project mm-hmm. and it's engaging with um, people who are in care homes. Okay. So you're talking the, the, the older generations. But how many children have they got? How many grandchildren have they got? How mm-hmm. many great-grandchildren have they got? And if you're looking after the head of the family, yeah. who is 85-year-olds yeah. with, within it, and they're, they're actively in part of your program, you might actually have 40, 50, or 60 people yeah. that have got a positivity towards the local football club yeah. because you're actually looking after yeah. Grandpa Joel yeah. or, or, or Granny yeah. Betsy or yeah. whoever that may be. Yeah. And it's a, it's a huge, huge spread. And... And that's the early stages that we've got here uh-huh. uh, in Kukadi. Um and you and you look at it you look at it from another perspective. The the initial year is about getting the kids involved and getting anybody, the participants involved in the programmes. Uh-huh. But again, if we've got three or four hundred kids involved in our the Wraith Rovers Foundation, the Wraith Rovers projects, that's three to four hundred kids. How many brothers and sisters have those kids yeah. got? How many grannies and grandpas, mams, dads, aunties, uncles? Yeah, yeah. You, you can you so you, yeah. they you feel, feel they feel that, part of this positivity yeah. infectious. It's yeah. positivity yeah. towards the local club. Yeah, it's, it's something something that I am quite surprised by how often it's it's mis it's mis misconstrued what it is that these charitable foundations do for football clubs. A lot of people saying, so, you know, £400,000 is being raised, so that's going to, that's going to, you know, change the finances of the football club. And it's a complete misconception. It's completely separate from the football club. That money is spent on delivering these programmes yes. and having this wider social impact. Yeah. The benefit to the football club is that people see a very positive part of their child or their grandparents or their aunties or uncle's yeah. life yeah. Is, is, is improved by something that, the, the football club is supporting so it's that it's that wider kind of perception of the football club and, and its local community and it often we often when we're talking in these conversations it goes without saying and but you know so many times that question comes back saying okay so that 400,000 pounds can we spend that on a centre forward <laughs> you, that must be frustrating to, that, to get those types of questions no it's it's not frustrating but I'd rather have those questions to, uh-huh. to put them to bed and, and make people at ease rather than people not ask those questions yeah because I, um, I think the stats at the moment, it'll be give or take one or two either way, but I think there's about 27 of the 42 SPFL clubs have actually got their charitable setup. Yeah. Other clubs go down the community route under the arm of the football club, yeah. which is fine if that's part yeah. of the business model. Yeah. But if you've got a separate charity set up, it's a separate company completely, but it's allowed to use the brand of the yeah. football club, you can then, you, you then have to add it to Oscar, which is the, which is a charity regulator. Yeah. So if, if you're answering to Oscar and you're only answering to Oscar, yeah. ultimately, as far as your setup is concerned, any money that gets invested from parents, kids, participants, companies that are investing in corporate yeah. social responsibility, it is ring fenced within the charity. There's no such thing as profit within a charity, Uh although I operate my charity's profitable organizations because there needs to be a surplus. But that surplus doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't Uh pay for a number nine to to go on the park on a Saturday. It stays within the the charity. It'll get ring fenced for 
reinvestment into more projects to, yeah. to, to have a greater reach and yeah. a greater positive benefit yeah. for, for the local area. Yeah. So to talk about you know, kind of you know, finishing up at, at, at Morton, um, you'd got the, got the foundation off the ground, it was established and it had, had real momentum. So you then kind of stepped away from it, you moved yeah. on and you're now doing something similar at the very much early stages at Wraith Rovers. Um, you know, what's, what do you see as the differences uh, in clubs around the country? Is there, is there much the same? Is it, how important is it to look at the local challenges that, that each club has? Or is there a template that just applies that's saying, okay, so you start off with football and then you, you know, your, your first little while is just kind of running football programmes and then, and then it, it changes? I, I, have to, I, I was very lucky. When, we, when I was setting up the, the Morton model, um, there was a few other guys in the same, same position as me. Mm. Um, the, they were sucking and seeing as well. And we, we had a really close network. You've you got Peter Davidson, who does a fantastic job up at, at Montrose, Link, Links yeah. Park Community Trust, which is now Montrose uh, Community Trust. You had uh, um, Stephen, Stephen Sweeney and Ali up, up at Aberdeen. Very, very positive. There was yeah. obviously my, myself. Um, you got Dawn, Dawn at Motherwell's Community yeah. Foundation. And, um, and, and speaking closely as well with the SPFL Trust, with, with, with Nicky Reid. So you had a number of people that were all doing the same thing at the same time, but one of the biggest biggest things that I learned was we became members of the European Football Development Network, mm -hmm. which is the EFDN, which is a European sort of, a UEFA for community foundations. Okay. And it's a fantastic organization that shares best knowledge and they have conferences twice a year. Uh, in fact, we, I was at one just, just last, October, October just gone, and and the first conference I ever went to is uh, the thing that I learned the most was whether it was Montrose, whether it was Morton, whether it was the old firm, whether it was Everton, who are probably the best in okay. the UK, okay. Everton's foundation, or whether it's Barcelona, in Inter Milan's, um, who else was that? Wolfsburg was was mm -hmm. was actually the venue of that. 80% of everything we do is exactly the same. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that model is pretty much the same. So it gives you comfort that you've actually developed something that works. And then there's the 20% that is just tweaked to the geography, uh, where you are in the yeah. football ladder yeah. and, and the local the local economic yeah. and social issues. And I guess those priorities or opportunities will just emerge naturally over time as you, as you have a wider uh, footprint through yeah. football, people will say, well, actually, this is what's needed here. Or just exactly. in conversation with people, you, you figure out what's needed for, for, that, for that local community to make, yeah. it, make a difference. You, you, you're spot on with that because for the first two, two years, probably down in Inverclyde and, and here as well in Concordia, it's about just let's get the confidence, let's get the projects mm -hmm. up and running and let's create the footprint. Um, but we've got, to be, we've got to be fluid, we've got to be organic to yeah. listen to what the local area needs. Yeah. And if the local councillors say, look, we see you've got the charity up and running, we think a mm. Wraith Rovers of a branded project in this social issue could really help us, we've, we've got to, we've got to yeah. listen to that. And, yeah. and, and as long as that is, is lined with our strategic objectives, yeah. And it will be because we're, we're helping the local area. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's so, yeah. so, so important that, that we are able to 
slightly tweak whatever we are doing to, to mm-hmm. take on board these new projects. Yeah. yeah. And a big feature of what you're doing at Wraith Rovers now is links with um, youth football organisations in, in the community. What can you tell us about, or, or what stage are things at with that? And can, we, can we talk about that? Yeah, look, it's, it is a case of whether, whether you are part of the Wraith Rovers brand or not. You know, my philosophy is if, if we are raising standards internally and there's, there's some fantastic work getting done with, uh, with the Kakadi Football Partnership and other clubs in and around the local area, we're the local professional club. We want them to do well. Yeah. We really want yeah. them to do well because the better they are doing, the better our community teams are doing, mm-hmm. the better standard of player within the local area. And charities don't think about the lead, but the cream will rise to the top, yeah. which will mean there's a better standard of player for Wraith Rovers yeah, football. You always made a place for the better players to go. Yes. And also the players that don't quite make it, make the grade and want to want to kind of step down to and, and, and play for a different team. So yeah. the closer that you work together, I guess, the, the so, better the opportunities are for people to find their level and yeah. to be the best that they can. So I've, I've had a few meetings already that, that I hear about the, the positivity of, for example, the, the Kokori Football Partnership. And I'm along as well, look, just so you know, if we're ever doing any staff development programmes, any, any coaching, coaching CPDs, mm. just know that we won't just do it for the Kakadi, just for the, for the Wraith Rovers mm. um, community teams and, and yeah. coaches. It'll be an open invite. Yeah. Anybody can come along because the more vibrant we've got support for the local football area, it makes so much sense and, and I don't want to have any secrets. Yeah. And professional football clubs have facilities that are, are maybe harder to find elsewhere, so it's a big a big draw for those things to happen. You get better professional development if you're if you're doing it in a in a facility like a like a professional football stadium. It's it's exactly that, and and I look back at if in hindsight, in Inverclyde, if somebody said to me on day one, what could you have in Inverclyde that would have made the project even better? I'd have said a plastic pitch. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not yeah. saying that plastic pitches are perfect for uh, professional football because there's, there's pluses and minuses and there's yeah. arguments both yeah. sides, the business model, the purity of football, uh-huh. is it the same game? I'm not getting drawn into that. Yeah. What I will say is for a community programme uh-huh. to, to be based at the home of the professional club um, and be able to have access to a good 3G pitch... It was the one thing that was lacking yeah. in Inverclyde yeah. um, at the early stages, which right. could have added even more value yeah. to our projects. Yeah. And obviously here at Starks Park, we've got a fantastic pitch there. And um, where would you rather, with all due respect to other pitches that are maybe just a, a park that's yeah. got a fence around yeah. it and a, and a nice 3G pitch, where would a kid rather walk out for yeah. their training session? Yeah. Would they rather walk out of Starks Park or would they rather walk out at the yeah. local park? I know where my money is. Yeah. Well, I, I know that from some personal, or not quite personal experience, but my goddaughter plays for Wraith Rovers under-17s girls team and she's playing on Starks Park this Sunday afternoon and she's, she loves playing on this surface yeah. and being at Starks Park. Um, and it makes a big, big difference to players uh, wanting to, to actually play football and do it in the best yeah. surroundings they can. It's, uh, it's so much... So much better than playing in a in a public park. So, yeah. yeah, no, I, I could agree more. Yeah. Like to to have that opportunity is is sec- second to none. You yeah. just it's your local team. Yeah. It's the park, 
And actually, you don't realise until you're in the middle of the park and you look uh-huh. around how, how big the stadium yeah, is right. and how big yeah. the pitch is when yeah. you've got to run around it yeah. and you're not a professional. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's a very, very, very positive experience. So um, one, of the cl- one of the questions we often ask our guests when we're closing off the, these, these interviews, if you could change one thing about Scottish football, what would it be? <laughs> and you can talk from your, your current role or from, from your perspective as, as an ex-player or just anything. I, the reason why I am doing what I'm doing now is because the community development side, I see that as a huge future for Scottish football. I, I think, are we ever going to compete in with the likes of you're watching the, the the Premier down south and you're watching the Champions League, it's 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 a different different game now. Mm. You know, you're you're seeing these these athletes that that are there, and and I just feel the one of the the key lifelines for Scottish football, and I've said this at 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 a very high level at the various roles I've done within the last few years, I feel that. The, the, the community engagement with the likes of the charities and really for clubs to, to fully realise what could actually be achieved yeah. over the next few years by reinventing themselves and, and engaging with the community and this next generation of supporter. Get them young. I'll, I'll give you an example of... Um, when I was a, I was a capital and a, and a young lad came in, um, about six, six, five mm-hmm. or six years mm-hmm. of age, fully kitted out in, in a Morton, Morton strip. Yeah. And he was stood next to his dad. And it was a case of, I said to his dad, oh, you must be so, so proud of your son just falling in love with a local team rather mm-hmm. than giving in to some of the pressures yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. And, and his answer was, I'm a, I'm a hell. He says, I've got a season ticket at Ibrox. He says, and I want him to go to Ibrox with me. But if Morton's playing at home, I've got to give up my season ticket to come to Capelaw because he's not allowed to come on his own. Yeah. And, and that to me is a, a phenomenal example of that kid fell in love with the community programme. Yeah. Yeah. He fell in love with the local club at that community programme at a very young age, before he was even in P1. Yeah. I believe he'd been within our projects for a couple of years, from about the age of three. Uh-huh. So before he's got into primary one, he's already fallen in love with the local team. Yeah. And he's fallen in love with the local team. So it, it's not even a generational thing, because his uh-huh. dad probably bought him a, a Rangers baby girl, <laughs> right? But it didn't happen. His, and his all of a sudden, without even noticing, his, his, his son's exactly. a Morton fan rather than a Rangers He's a Morton fan, yeah. exactly that. So, so these, are, these are the examples that are out there. Mm-hmm. And it's not just that. It is about re-engaging the next generation of the supporter and getting a badge on them as soon as they possibly yeah. can to give them that local yeah. identity. Yeah. But it's also the positivity. I often see the clubs will go out to the local council, they'll speak to the local councillors and they'll constantly mm-hmm. cap in hand, help us out, help us out, yeah. help us out. Whereas my philosophy has always been, no, what can we do for you? Yeah. And I think if, if a board of directors at a football club and the trustees within the foundation fully understand the power mm-hmm. that the football badge has got, that local brand... Yeah. We can do so much outward. Yeah. We, we have to say, what can we do for our local area? And if you can identify that, 
I think football will be a lot healthier because of it in Scotland. And I think that is key for a number of clubs. A number of clubs north of the border is to fully yeah. engage in, in what we can actually do for the community rather than worry about, well, why is our supporters not coming back? Yeah, that's a great future to imagine. Uh, oh yeah definitely yeah fully on board with with your vision there <laughs> great i hope we can get there and yeah the and the, the more we can have people engaging with this working and getting involved and, and implementing these types of ideas around around the country the quicker we'll get there and the the better the impact we'll, we'll have for, for our communities yeah and that's that's ultimately what i think we can do here at wraith rovers and and a couple of the other grassroots clubs that, I, that i'm working with so mm. This is what makes me get out of bed on the morning. Yeah. I just get the passion for, for especially on, on, the, on the community development yeah. side of it. And um, I think there's a lot of potential there. There's a lot yeah. of potential in Scottish football if we just focus on these key areas. Great. Yeah. Thanks very much, Warren. This has been great. Uh, lovely to talk to you. Lovely to meet you in person after all these years. <laughs> and good luck with everything you're, you're, you're working on. Thank you very much for okay. your time. Cheers. If you're a fan of the podcast and the other work SD Scotland does, how about signing up as a member on our Patreon page? A few pounds every month will help us to continue offering advice and helping supporters, clubs and communities across Scotland. Great, so we hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, it have been lovely to talk to Warren for a little bit longer, um, but you know, that's covered a lot of ground in half an hour there. Absolutely. So we're going to start finishing off our podcast with a kind of uh, to debrief, I guess. We're just chatting about some of the stuff we... It's pretty self-indulgent, let's be honest. <laughs> we're just going to be talking about some of the things that we've enjoyed doing since the last time we spoke to you. Yeah. Things that we've enjoyed seeing, kind of best practice stuff we've yeah. seen and, and liked and mainly books that we've read, podcasts we've yeah. listened to, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So Book, books is a good place to start Books with is that. a very good place yeah. to start with, especially in January after Christmas yeah. because I find... As I get older, the only thing I ever get bought these days, which is lovely, is books about football. It's yeah. almost like people think yeah, I the like only, football. The only things you get from for, for Christmas are books and abuse from your nan. Yes, yes. <laughs> a lot of abuse, yeah. Very sensitive about that. Let's yeah. talk about that. Uh, so, yeah, books. What, what, so which, which books did you get for Christmas? So I got David Goldblatt's new book, which huh. is just huge, huge book, like, like a doorstop, basically. Yeah. And it will take me a good solid year to read it, I imagine, <laughs> amongst everything else I've got going on. But um, absolutely fantastic book. Kind of, it's called Football, New Age of Football, um, I believe. David Goldblatt. Um, I'm just going to double check. The Age of Football, sorry, if you want to go and buy it yeah. from, from all good bookshops and some of the rubbish ones too. Yeah. Um, but just a fantastic kind of um, document outlining where football is in 2020, really. Yeah. And it starts off with this tremendous description of the 2014 World Cup final and just talking about the amount of money involved in the game yeah. and looking at the kind of soft power of football. So, you know, the decision for Qatar to host the World Cup and Russia to host the World Cup, what are their kind yeah. of ulterior motives for doing yeah. so? Just really, really excellent. Like, if you're interested in football and history and just soci sociology, I think yeah. it's, a, it's a great book to read. Yeah. What about you? Uh, first item on my Christmas reading, uh, so when, I was, uh, when I was sitting in the back of a, an off-road vehicle going around Morocco, uh, sometimes I was looking out the window, but sometimes I was <laughs> I had, my, had my nose in the book. So I read Barcelona to Bucky Thistle by Matt Guy. Yes. I'm not going to say too much about that on the podcast because we're, we're lining Matt up to be a, a guest in, in coming 
uh, maybe next month uh, that that may be the, the the episode that we do. But Barcelona to Bucky Thistle. It's uh, the subtitle is exploring football's road less roads less travelled. So it's looking at what it means to to be part of a wee team, whether it's a wee club team or a wee international team. The book's as much about community and belonging, pride and passion, identity, uh, as it is about football. And I absolutely loved it. I mean, I devoured this book. It was just it was just fantastic. Uh, some really, really great stories in there. Um, the stuff that I wasn't expecting, because I, I knew I was going to see stuff about Highland, yeah. uh, Highland League football, because he kind of sets it up, yeah. you know, that he was, he was yeah. about to go up to, 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 do, to watch some Highland football and somebody told him not to bother because it, it was terrible. Yeah. Um, so I was expecting it all to be about you know, Highland League football, but he goes out to um, Andorra and San Marino. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to Fair talk Islands? Fair Islands as well, yeah. 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 So he's talking, and, and one of the things that I really got from it was, you know, you know the importance of the Nations League mm. to give you mm. know clubs at that level of international football real competitive experience and mm. and what that that's going to do for the game. Mm-hmm. So as I say, we're, we'll talk about that book a little bit more when we get Matt onto the podcast. But if you want to have a read of that, his name's Matt Guy, and it's called Barcelona to Bucky Thistle. Excellent. Okay, um, we've also had the latest issue of uh, Nutmeg Out. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that's that kind of dropped in December. So I was just finishing reading that the other night, and you know, great news is that Andrew Jenkins gets a mention in it. Uh, talk, talking about uh, it's we're really referring back to a, a couple of issues ago when you did the article on Jimmy Bone mm. and his time in Zambia with uh, Power Dynamos. Power Dynamos that's yeah. right. I, I always want to call them the Hot Rods. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Power Dynamos. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I guess like yeah. I can yeah. see where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you get, get some mention in that Jimmy article. Jimmy Bone and the Hot Rods could be a band. Oh yeah, sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, and it also mentions uh, your Africa on the Ball charity uh, yeah. and, and yeah. kind of name checks the, yeah. the work that you're doing there. Fantastic. So that's fantastic. Um, that probably takes us to kind of one of the saddest stories over the last month to six weeks in, in Scottish football. Um, you know, one of the backers uh, last year for Africa on the Ball was Colin Weir. Yeah. Um, and we were devastated to hear of his of his sudden passing um, just before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, really. Yeah. He was a guy who clearly understood what it means to be a fan of Scottish football and to support your club. Um, but he also, you know, really believed in supporter ownership. And one of the last things he did was to, you know, basically, you know, create the circumstances where his, where the, the major shareholding in part of Thistle could be passed to the fans mm. through his company. Um, you know, obviously, he's not around any longer. But I'm sure his wishes all have been made really mm. clearly known, so that 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 continues to happen, you know, despite him not being around to 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 see it come to come to fruition. Yeah. Um, and we wish the part of Thistle fans every every success in in, in that venture, um, but just very very sad to see you know one of the a really well known supporter of Scottish football um, taken from us. Yeah, very much so. Incredibly generous individual. And, yeah. Um, I suppose it doesn't really matter how he came to, you know, come about the money. The fact that he used it for such good is yeah. just, you know, um, yeah. phenomenal. And, and it's and it's, it's the dream of of so many football supporters. Is, that, you yeah. know, what would you do if you won the lottery? Buy uh, I'd buy my club, yeah. and he did it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but he he didn't buy it for himself though, which is the yeah. kind of nice thing about it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. So yes, um, thoughts thoughts and best wishes with all his family. But yeah. Um, Yes, but that also leads them quite nicely to another article. So uh, whereas we have on the one hand a man that's doing something right for the good of the game and the future of Scottish football, another article in Nutmeg about uh, perhaps some of the nastier aspects of the Premier League in England. That's right, yeah. So there's an article in there, and it's an excerpt uh, uh, of a book by John Nicholson 
called Can We Have Our Football Back? Um, so I ordered a copy from him uh, two days ago uh, and it arrived on my doorstep this morning. So uh, I was expecting it to arrive next week. So I was really excited just as I kind of closed the cover on Nutmeg, um, you know, the next next book on my reading pile lands. So John Nicholson, he writes for Football 365 uh, and it's it's really a polemic about what's wrong with the English Premier League and the amount of money that's in uh, the the English Premier Premier League and in the, the top top levels of football, and he really describes the Premier League as being a bit of a sham. Mm. It, it's giving the illusion of something that's really really successful and rich, the biggest league in the world, the self proclaimed biggest league in the world, and every record in football seems to you know yeah. be you know from ninety two onwards. Yeah. This is the biggest wins since the formation of the Premier League, and he's, he basically says this is a this is a smoke and mirrors. Act here, and then the amount of money that's that's floating around in football is, in his words, obscene. He said, uh, "If you think it's right uh, for um, for Alexis Sanchez to be earning more in a day or is it a week than a nurse would would earn in a decade, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Is there's no way to defend it?" And he he mentions footballers who say the money that I am earning is obscene and I don't know what to do with it, so I'm giving it away. Mm. So I'm, I'm I'm hoping we get into the book, I actually name some, some of those players because mm-hmm. I could knock on their door and say, well, support, <laughs> support the supporters, you know, we, give us some of it. But um, yeah, maybe maybe that won't happen. But yeah, he, he says that this is, uh, this is a sham and if you actually run the numbers, the number of people viewing an average Premier League match and then you compare it to the amount of money that, that the football, the TV companies pay for the rights it's not paying for itself. It's a it's a way of driving traffic to the to the TV TV mm-hmm. stations, and I, mean, I I don't know. Maybe when I read the full book, I'll, I'll find out more about it. But it struck me as that he's suggesting it's a bit of a house of cards, and that the numbers don't add up, and that's not sustainable. And when it collapses, it's going to be horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if the book will go there, so I'm really looking forward to finding out. Yeah, I suspect so. I suppose this kind of symbiotic relationship between media and Premier League has been going on for a while now this mutually beneficial kind of aspect whereby yeah. media give clubs more coverage thereby they can drive up the subscriptions and more yeah. eyeballs and better coverage it's sort of, sort yeah. of you know kind of um getting benefit from one another but um yeah so it's interesting and i i suppose it will be i don't know well when the bubble will burst and how long it will yeah. take before the bubble will burst and actually we always talk about you know especially with amazon prime coming on the scene um the fact that competition in theory, drives the price down for the consumer. But actually what we're seeing is if you want to watch all these games, the price is going up and up and up. Yeah. So it's quite an interesting time we're in right now yeah. to see how that's going to change yeah. and whether or not maybe the Premier League just ditch all of them and start their own subscription model. Yeah. Well, I think I saw something, if you added up what it would cost to subscribe to every single service that's got rights to the to rule. So if you want to be able to watch any game that's on, yeah. the English Premier, Premier League, going to cost you a thousand pounds a year yeah um yeah. and that's crazy yeah. crazy money yeah yeah i'm pulling a funny face because i'm just working out how much you spend going going up and down the road to see west ham <laughs> no how much, how much i pay on tv subscription oh right okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh but yes anyway well we'll see we'll watch that with interest so so that's john nicholson can we have our ball back that'll yeah. be we'll put that in the, the show notes absolutely keep pointing down because i think i see youtubers do that but they mean show notes literally yeah. that you can see down <laughs> below anyway yeah. right so that's that's um that's our podcast for the month yeah i hope you've enjoyed it uh-huh. uh you can find links to everything and the thing pointing up now <laughs> pointing up i'm just pointing <laughs> anywhere really and uh, we'll be back hopefully with an interview with uh, matt guy yeah 
until, until then yeah enjoy your football enjoy your football and have a winning week <laughs> that's the one <laughs> have a winning month <laughs>